Striking Chords with Jonathan Douglas. Here, talking with actor Derek Nimmo. Have you found that at these very diff various different locations, the appeal has uh, always been there? People have responded? I think, you see, the one thing that people understand totally is adultery. And this is a play about adultery, and they rejoice in that. Uh, and that is an instantly recognisable commodity wherever you produce it. So <laughs> I think that's why the play does what you see the difference actually between farce and tragedy is very slight it's always what Carolyn said with the time you were saying time because it's a very tragic situation his whole life is going to be ruined his parliamentary career will be over his marriage will be over um, his whole world is going to be destroyed but by being a farce by careful timing and playing it isn't a tragedy it is just an extraordinarily ridiculous outrageous as we call it comedy it's rather a brilliant starting point, isn't it, to have uh, the uh, politician uh, taking a fancy to the opposition's secretary because there's so many potential hazards. Oh, I think so. I think we've seen secretaries prove to be... Cecil Parkinson, for instance, uh, his secretary was quite a hazard, wasn't he, really, in real life? <laughs> oh, I think, yes, they are. Secretary is always a hazard, but it's even more of a hazard, actually, if it's probably if it's the secretary of the leader of the opposition. That puts it then into high farce, into high comedy. Ray uh, Cooney is obviously, as you've um, been hinting, a, a very fine writer because I would have thought that, that farce, it, it must be the kind of thing that looks fairly easy because he's, he's such a fine writer. I mean, it, it could be something that if you haven't got the balance right or the... the it's the yeah. most desperately complicated thing to write because you, everybody, there's all mistaken identity. You've got to remember who anybody's supposed to be at one particular moment and then a few moments later they might be somebody else. I mean, he, Robin comes in the end as a bride, don't you come well, to think I, of it? Yeah. Well, I mean, there yeah. you are. Well, I know, it doesn't really matter, but suddenly to come in as a bride. Now, I must say, if you've seen Robin in the lower low, he's sort of quite short and very male and with a moustache and doesn't look remotely like a bride. Not in my experience, anyway. Bride of Frankenstein, perhaps. And and your association with, association with Ray Cooney goes back a few years as well, of course. Oh, a long time, really. I mean, Ray, as, to give you an example of what an ingenious writer he is, one play, which was called Chase Me Comrade, actually started out uh, as a play called, uh, yeah, what, How's Your Father, I think it was called, and it was about a burglar who hid his swag up the chimney. Now, I was in that play when it was tried out some many years ago, and it was a burglar hiding his swag up the chimney. Ray was passing over Trafalgar Square, saw Nureyev, the dancer, and thought it would be much funnier to hide a Russian defecting ballad dancer up the chimney than the swag, and that became Chase Me Comrade. And this particular play, Out of Order, we have on English television a programme called Challenge Annika, and Annika Rice, the woman is, who goes out and she, she's a boring, sort of bossy woman, she, she rings up and challenges you to do something. And one particular challenge was to Ray Cooney to write for uh, tapes for the blind a comedy in 24 hours. And so that's what he did. He wrote out of order. And I was in it on the tape with Donald Sindon and we recorded it, he read it within 24 hours and then actually polished it and it became out of order, went into the West End and was such a great success. Necessity, necessity being the mother of invention, I suppose. I think so, absolutely, yeah. Well, I associate you with, very much with comedy. Has comedy always been your, your niche, your strong point? Well, I think so, really. Um, yes, yes, mainly, because I've got a funny uh, nose that turns up at the end, so I've always sort of played comedy. Um, what I do do on the wires, what I'm going back to do now, is something called Just a Minute, which I've done for about 
28 years. Yeah. It's a panel game of sorts. And so I do that on an extraordinarily regular basis. I mean, it always amazes me that the BBC are kind enough to pay one to talk absolute rubbish about something one knows nothing about. And I've asked one to do it for, I say, 28 years. But it's a, it's a very entertaining programme. It obviously works very well. Well, it sometimes does. We've had some very good new people on. Stephen Fry was awfully good, and Paul Merton's an alternative comedian. But we've still got dear old Clement Freud and Peter Jones and awful Nicholas Parsons as the uh, chairman of the thing, so it goes on. We desperately miss Kenneth Williams, I think, who was so wonderfully funny. Did you always want to be an actor, go on the stage? No, not really, I don't think. it. Um, I really went on in, in theatre by the merest chance, because I had a secretary who had been in the theatre herself, and she'd got rather plump and been made redundant, and uh, she saw me in an amateur play with my wife, so she wasn't my wife then, we married 40 years, so it must be about 41 years ago. And uh, she thought perhaps I'd be better in the theatre than giving her a different shorthand note. So she wrote away to three different theatre companies in the north of England, in my name, without telling me about it. And one of them actually replied saying they'd audition me, and she sort of pushed me on a train to Bolton, and I auditioned, and I got this job at four pounds a week. And so I don't think otherwise I'd have ever gone into the theatre. And then what about TV? Because I remember sort of half past seven uh, in the evening, um, everyone's seated in the uh, drawing room watching things like All Gas and Gators. Uh, how, how did you get into that? Well, well I, I was, that particular programme, I was standing in the BBC club one day and Frank Muir was standing there too and he chucked me over a strip and said, read this, and that was Gas and Gators. And I did that for a number of years. And then I played a Catholic monk as well, an old brother, and, and, I'm more, and I became a father. And more recently, about four years ago, I did one called Hell's Bells, and I've been promoted to a dean. So that's my kind of ecclesiastical period. <laughs> <laughs> Because if I can just tell you very briefly, I, I do recall very clearly uh, I had um, a rather serious aunt, da rather dour sort of person. We were watching, uh, I think it must have been all gas and gases, and you succeeded in, in reducing her to complete fits of, of laughter. And it was a simple matter of uh, you were talking to the, uh, to the, the archdeacon um, about, and he thought you were talking about a young lady, in fact you were talking about a cat. I don't know if you remember oh, that. I think it's a dog, actually. A dog. And about how you're coming right. through the window and that's curling right. up on your bed. <laughs> that's right, that's right, yes. I do, I do remember that. And they're just releasing them again now. They're on video and on, on tapes, which is rather nice. So I haven't seen them myself for a long time, so I'd be quite a surprise to see them again. See them on, as one was when young. <laughs>